Well, I want to take a moment and greet everybody that's joining us online and uh, to thank you for uh, tuning in today. I also want to say good morning to our Cedar Lake campus, our HP campus. You're joining us as well. And uh, we continue our, our month in January focusing on, on the family and relationships within the family. And I'm really enjoying personally this gospelized theme. Like this is, the more I get into it, I'm like, man, this is working. Like this really is uh, at the core of what it means to have a Christian family is to gospelize all of these relationships and to allow the gospel to shape uh, and, and to texture uh, the way that we relate to one another. What is a gospelized family? A gospelized family is a family whose desire and purpose is to showcase the reality of a resurrected Savior named Jesus right there in their home. And this isn't about, uh, you know, uh, having a, a cross on the front door or something like that. This is about the way that we live with one another and how we apply gospel truths in the roles that God has called us to within the family. And so we've talked about the gospelized family, the gospelized husband, the gospelized wife. These two roles are a husband and a wife who have their first identity as Christians, not a husband, not a wife. I am first and foremost a Christian, and so my, my wifery and my husbandry is an act of worship to God. This uh, doesn't mean that spouses love each other uh, any less. It means they love each other better for God's sake and as an act of worship. And we've been using that Romans 12 verse 1 uh, where he says, in view of God's mercies, I, I beseech you, King James, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so what does it mean to have my marriage on the altar as an act of worship, my parenting on the altar as an act of worship, and these other roles, this is what we're talking about. All I am, all for God's glory, including my home and my family. Now as we talk today, my assumption is is that if you are a Christian here today, you very much want to gospelize your home. The challenge is in the day-to-day, how do we do that exactly? Like practically, how do we take this grand desire that we have, these truths that we hold to, and how do we uh, make make it showcase the gospel? in the practical matters of life. Well, one obvious evidence of a gospelized home is that there is a gospel-enabled harmony in the home. Gospel-enabled harmony. Now, family harmony, as I talk about this, I, I am not wanting to paint some panacea you know, some sort of fairy tale that if you apply the gospel every day is going to be, you know, sweeter than the day before, and uh, that you and your spouse, if you're married, are going to live happily ever after. Uh, I would say family harmony sounds a lot more like in my youth pastoring days when I would have to go to seventh grade band uh, concerts, where sometimes they would actually play the right note. But uh, most of the time, they would not. And somehow, the, the, the bad notes made the good notes sound even better. That every, you know, uh, third measure or so where they would hit the right note. Uh, that's what it's like in a family, even a Christian family. It is a daily struggle with dissonance and with notes that don't sound that pretty. Because Romans 7, even as Christians, we are 
we deal with indwelling sin. We have indwelling the flesh that we fight against. And nowhere is that more on display than within our family relationships where there is sin and selfishness, even as Christians. Now let's think a moment about what causes this disharmony. Okay, what, what are the causes behind the disharmony? And I would say that these are on a spectrum, really. You have a, a spectrum. On the one side, you've got, I'll call them just the daily annoyances that go along with every single human being. It doesn't matter who you live with. It doesn't matter who you marry. It doesn't matter who your siblings are. There are things about that other person that are just plain annoying. A lot of heads are nodding right now. Uh, And indeed, that's the case. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have what are more like hardcore sins that we do against each other. These are just like flat-out wrongs. Not, not annoyances, but, but sin. These are also unavoidable because no matter who you marry, no matter who your family you're birthed into, no matter who your siblings are, that person is a sinner. And guess what sinners do against each other? Sin, right? They sin. Big surprise there, right? They sin. And uh, often, in our minds, our family members will be the worst sinners we know because we know them better than any other sinners on the planet. And we see them truly in their worst possible moments. Now, try not to think of somebody right now as I mention that, but it's, it's really true. And guess what? Your family members, God bless them for continuing to love you because they have seen you in your most selfish moments, in the most prideful Uh, uh, the most divisive moments of your entire life, probably there was a family member sitting there going, "Mm mm-hmm, right. They've seen you that way as well. This is the reality of living in a home with sinners. You know, I'm told that uh, the, 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 the call that the police dread the most is it's, it's not necessarily the, you know, the, the high speed chase or, um, you know, some other kind of uh, uh, everyday sort of call, maybe even a burglar call. The one that they hate the most is domestic disturbance because they know when they walk into that domestic disturbance, there is something about a family disturbance that is more volatile and more potentially dangerous than, uh, you know, the bar in downtown Crown Point. Families, remember, the first recorded murder was a brother against a brother. And humanity has pretty much been a reality TV show ever since. This is the world that we live in. Now, we can step back and say, well, that's just the way it is, okay? Welcome to being in family. It's a freak show. But if we believe in the gospel, if we believe Romans 1.16, that, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, if we believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, if we believe the gospel is a message of reconciliation, we have to look at at God's purpose for the family and see the gospel as providing the resources that make for harmony in the home when properly lived out and properly applied. That there there are aspects to the gospel that get me to heaven that simultaneously can lead to a fairly happy home experience when those resources 
are accessed and applied in the day-to-day of life. I mean, remember the verse I quoted, Romans 1.16, the power, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It goes on to say, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why is that significant? Paul is highlighting the fact that these two groups who historically have hated each other, especially the Jews towards the Gentiles, that within the family of God, there is a reconciling of historically hateful people within the family of God living out the gospel in the church. And what I wanna say today is that what God does in the family of God, God can and will do in your family at home. That the gospel applied can provide these resources, and in my opinion, there are way too many families, even families in the church, who fail to access resources that God provides for them to, to dwell in unity with one another. Maybe you haven't even thought about that, and it's to that that I'm speaking here uh, today. And specifically, again, we're trying to take Romans 1 uh, through 11 and apply it now in, in the day-to-day of life. We've been doing this exposition of Romans. There are two particular things that we have learned about in Romans that I want to apply now to our homes. And the first is the inverted pyramid, and the second is the power of forgiveness. Okay, so those are my two points today. I'm gonna talk about those two things. But I think they can be truly transformational in our homes. So let's start talking about the inverted pyramid. If you were here with us back in the fall, you might remember uh, that uh, we spent a lot of time in Romans 14. And if you read Romans 14 later, you'll see that what Paul is addressing here is that at the church at Rome, you had very diverse opinions and perspectives on what we might call lifestyle choices, okay? And these are not Romans 1 through 11 core doctrinal things. These are secondary things. In fact, Paul calls them matters indifferent They were all committed to the gospel there in Rome, okay? We believe in the gospel, but we we don't agree in these other areas. And so to address that, Paul writes chapter 14 through the first part of chapter 15. And uh, he does not uh, address gospel level issues, but what he does address is the issues of love and the high value of unity in the family of God. And just to remind you, here's a few high points. I'm gonna just quote a few varying verses in Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What Paul does here is he says, hey, church at Rome, don't prioritize your perspective on uh, meat offered in, uh, in, the, in the temple or uh, he mentions uh, the use of alcohol. These are not things that are that, imp- don't elevate those to things that are, make them higher than they should be because we in the gospel have the, uh, the, what is important. And that is, as he says uh, there, I just read it, 
It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the things that are more important than my exercise of liberty that I feel that I have a right uh, to do. And and then you get to uh, Romans 15, verses five through six, and here's kind of his summary statement. This is what he is longing for. May the God of endurance and encouragement, can I pause a moment? Wouldn't this be a great prayer to pray over our homes and our families, okay? Listen, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's not a bad verse for every Christian home right there. That we dwell in such harmony with one another that the harmony itself is a part of the proclamation of Jesus Christ and brings glory to God by our very harmony. Okay, so with that then, I rolled out the inverted pyramid. And we've used this over the years. You might remember this. If you could put it up on the screen for me, please. The inverted pyramid. Um, And what you'll see here is that... uh, The foundation of the inverted pyramid is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the church's one foundation. He is, it's it's all about him, some wise person might say, okay? And and then on, on 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 the foundation of Jesus, you have essential, critical, doctrinal truths like the Trinity and redemption and these others. And uh, those would form the essence of what is Orthodox Christianity since the apostles were here. But then you move up higher and you start moving into essential doctrines, but ones where there are some debates about some things, but they're super, super important, Christian ethics, etc. But then you keep moving up higher, and the higher you go, the point is this, the higher you go, the more the need to be, for the sake of unity, a little flexible in our relational love for one another and to leave room for some differing of opinions. And so, so that's the point of this. And these things that are here, you could put a bunch of different things in there. Those are just there representatively. Love is the border that holds all this together. That's a picture of, of every local church. We don't all agree on everything, but as long as we're agreeing on the gospel and the, the essentials, we can leave some room for disagreement on the maybe the non-essential things, Okay. That's, that, is, uh, that is the point of the inverted pyramid. There are other models of this. I, I noticed in the ESV study Bible, I know many of you use the ESV study Bible, a wonderful um, Bible study tool. It gives tiers of doctrine, okay? So from absolutes to convictions to opinions to questions, that's just another way of saying the same thing as the inverted pyramid. There are other ways to try to say not everything is as important as everything else. Not everything is something we go to war over, but we focus on what unites us in the essential gospel. Now here's my point today, is that not only is that a means to harmony in a local church, it is a means to harmony in your home. That the inverted pyramid is not simply a good idea for a church, it is a wonderful idea for a Christian home. What, what do I mean by that? It doesn't matter what home you're in, every home has a set of priorities, a culture, a va- things that are, that are valued within that particular home. You spend time with a family and eventually these things will, will surface. 
Uh, or maybe if I was to ask you, tell me about the home that you grew up in. Like, what were the priorities in the home that you grew up in? And maybe you could reflect a moment. Like, well, I grew up in a home where this was really important. And maybe we put in there, uh, you know, a hard, hard work ethic, fun, love, uh, making money, achievement, the Cubs. You know, every home has something like this. And often, I think, in homes, these are unwritten and sometimes even unstated but everybody in the home operates according to that priority and value set. It's almost like an instinct in the home because every home has to have some functional operational priorities for it to have any kind of functioning at all. It's the glue of every home. So here you now talk about a gospelized family. So how does a gospelized family do this well, what I'm saying is that, like the inverted pyramid, a gospelized family is going to have at the foundation, like the most important priorities are going to be, Matthew 6, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness here. All right? Whether we eat or we drink, we do it all to the glory of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory, etc. That a, a gospel home is going to have the same foundational priorities that the gospel itself has. Are you with me? Okay. So are you saying that all about him isn't just for the church? Are you saying that all about him is like supposed to be for our homes too? Yes, 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 that's what I'm saying. Don't just be all about him at church and then be all about fill in the blank when you get home. Or your marriage to be all about fill in the blank when you get home or your parenting or whatever. No, we are integrating the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, and that includes our homes. And the culture of your home is intended by God to be sanctified, to be in the process of being transformed by the glory and the power and the worth of Jesus. Now, a byproduct of valuing Jesus and his gospel, and this is where I'm getting at here today, is that it provides a mechanism for harmony in a home filled with sinners. There is, a, there is a, a, a means by which that harmony can be maintained. It's just like in, in, uh, in a church. We have to have some mechanism in our church here to overcome the otherwise divisive differences of opinion that we have so that we might remain unified in Jesus Christ. So when a, when a church gets off of the core doctrines and begins to be about some other thing, now that mechanism is lost. So how does a church harmonize then with so much diversity? Here's how we say it here. We keep the main thing the main thing. We gotta be a church that keeps the main, because there is constantly pressure to make something else the big thing here. And so we just resolutely are like, no, it's Jesus is the big thing here. The gospel is the big thing here. We're not gonna let something else become the big thing here because then we're all about that. We're not about what we're supposed to be about. Okay. So what I'm urging you is to follow this model culturally in your home. And it doesn't matter if you're married or not. Single, widowed, divorced, grandkids, not. This applies to everybody. Because what unites a family, a Christian family, yes, we share DNA typically, 
But what unites a Christian family is our spiritual DNA. And that's the DNA to build your home upon and to, and to make the big deal that Jesus is king and lord of this house. That this house exists. We, are, we, want, we want to honor Jesus here in this home, kids. Now, does that mean that your kids all grow up to be you know, missionaries and, and, or even Christians? No, it doesn't guarantee that. Does it guarantee that you're gonna all the time have harmony in the home? You're probably not gonna all the time have harmony in the home. You know what? I, we're, we try to be an all about him church here and I, I weekly have disagreeing conversations with people. So it doesn't mean that there is always like, you know, in the sweet by and by going on. Uh, kumbaya, copacetic, you know, harmony somehow happening. No. But if there's going to be sustainable unity Families have to have a united vision for the purpose of their home. Why are we here? Like, what is the big goal in our, in our home? And when the gospel is the point and, and Jesus is the focus, the byproduct is that there are spiritual resources and mechanisms to maintain harmony that if you don't have that, you're not going to have it in your home. Are you with me on that? Let me, I want to roll that back. Let me say it again. If Jesus, it, it's like the church, okay? If, 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 if our church was all about fill in the blank, by being about those things, we would lose all of the resources that Jesus provides and the unification that Jesus provides within the church. And you do that in your home, and the same thing's going to happen. You displace God and enthrone education or your kid's sports career as the functional God of your home, wait and see what happens. So I'm urging you to invert pyramid your house and to make sure everybody in that home, and, and talk about this, okay? I think too often we don't talk about these things. Talk about why does our family exist? Like that little sort of back of the napkin conversation that you can have with your kids. Like, we are here to make Jesus shine. And I want to I be a daddy to my two girls in a way that they grow up in the home and they, they like, well, my, my home was about spiritual things. Like, that was a big deal, Jesus in, in the house. That's what I want. Now I have a little tip here. Here's my tip. Since this is, is so important, why not actually write out a purpose statement for your family? If you got kids, maybe let them uh, speak into that somehow. You might say, well, that sounds silly to me. You're probably going to ask us to put it up on the wall somewhere. And yet, you know how many homes I go into and I see on the wall, live, laugh, love. If you get your vision for your family from Walmart, I'm going to say, <laughs> you might be in a lot of trouble. Now, you might be like, well, we got ours at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> well, that's different. Okay, that's, that's okay. So if you got that, keep it on the wall. Don't feel bad about it. What I'm saying is there needs to be something over that. And if not on the wall, in your heart, something higher Something that is aspirational for your family. This is who we aspire to be. I think Joshua said it well. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a good one. 
Love God, love people. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Here's our church's statement. Bethel Church exists to make disciples whose lives are all about him. These little things have a way of working their way into the ethos of the home. Maybe put it up there on the wall. I have a brother-in-law, they, they took this seriously, and they actually painted uh, their family values up on the wall. I, got a, I have a picture of it uh, right here. There you can see it. Terrell family values, love God, family first, tell the truth, work hard, be kind to people. And they had it right in the stairwell where you go up and you can't help but see it every single, every single day. However you wanna do it, make sure that everybody in the home knows why we're here. Because this is the unifying vision. And if you don't have that, or if something other than the gospel is there, your home is going to struggle with harmony. Now, how does this help with harmony? Here's how. When you have the right thing as the main uniting thing, it allows diversity in the family with other family members that have sort of interests and priorities and maybe perspectives that are different than yours. If you don't have a unifying vision grounded in Jesus Christ, you're gonna argue about everything. You're gonna wanna, everyone's gonna argue about, oh, this is the big deal. And don't families love to argue about things? I would suggest to you that a gospelized family is a safe family to disagree on non-gospel things and to have healthy conversations and even live lives maybe, prioritized slightly differently. We could actually laugh about stuff. We can have different opinions on the best music and our favorite TV shows and what sports to watch and politics and a host of other things, yet we love each other and the glue is the gospel. And everybody gets it. So whatever it is in your family, in your marriage, if you're married, I would urge you to don't just sort of assume that. I think way too many people get married, they just try to do family, life goes on, and they never intentionally plant the gospel into the awareness of the members of the family. Whatever that takes, this is one reason I think church attendance is such a helpful thing, it was for me growing up. I mean, there was no doubt in my, my, my house growing up because we never missed church. And uh, you know, it was kind of like, but you know, the game is on, we're going to church. It's snowing, we're going to church. Sunday morning and Sunday night, like, you all are sloughing off compared to what I had to do growing up. Wednesday night, all these things, we rarely missed. Was it annoying at times? Yes. But you get to 18 years old and you look back on 18 years and you know what the priority was. Do whatever you can to make that priority the things of God. Seek first the kingdom of God in your home. And then there are resources that come with that. And that's my second point here now. I would like to talk with you about the gospel as it relates to forgiveness. If there is something that is needed to have harmony in the home, you have to resolve conflict. You gotta be good at it, in fact. And one of the blessings about being a Christian is that the gospel comes with an eraser. Now, I'd like you to imagine uh, right now with me that, uh, that we're all at a wedding here. 
and that uh, Pastor Steve DeWitt is officiating the wedding. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share some things that I share in weddings that I do, and if you've been to a wedding that I've led, you've probably heard this before, and if you ever go to a wedding that I lead, you're probably gonna hear it again, and I make no apology, okay? Because I think it's that important. So we're at a wedding, the time comes for the pastoral charge. And oftentimes I'll say something like, oh bride, you are, you just look so stunningly beautiful here today. And you do, you're whatever. and everybody likes that, you know. Oh, she is so lovely, and we don't care about him. Uh, and we've gathered here today for this wedding. And I know that you both very much want a beautiful marriage. And I want to talk with you today about something that's critical for that to happen. You want your marriage to be almost like a piece of art. And did you know? Do you know what the the most important tool in the artist's toolbox is? It's not the paintbrush, you know, it's not the sculpting uh, uh, device, it's it's the eraser. I said, do you know that they've actually done studies, like infrared studies, where they have looked at paintings by da Vinci and Rembrandt, and what they can detect, even like in the top of the Sistine Chapel, they can detect places where the artist drew a line. But then he went back and he, he erased the line and he put the line in a, in a different place because he thought it looked better over here. And every great piece of art takes a lot of erasing. Now what does it make, what's required to make your marriage beautiful? Mostly a forgiving type erasing. Because no matter how beautiful you are right now and how happy you are right now, very shortly, indeed perhaps tonight, something is going to be said that is off-putting to one or the other. There's gonna be a little slight that's done, a little insensitivity that has happened. And uh, all of a sudden, you're gonna realize what all the married people here sitting here already know, and that is that you're both sinners marrying one another. And the result of that is, is that there is going to be a lot of offensive off-putting, difficult things that are going to happen. And the key to you having a, a, a happy marriage is going to be getting really good at forgiving these things against one another. The eraser. And here's why the gospel is so key to a healthy marriage. The gospel, like a number two pencil, comes with an eraser. The gospel in marriage assumes very significant failures to love each other, and yet you're committing today to do so to one another. And then often I'll tell them the story from Matthew 18. You know, I've hardly ever done a wedding where I haven't told the story of Matthew 18. You know the parable of Matthew 18 where there's the guy who owes the king $10 billion. Jesus tells this parable, owes him $10 billion. And the king drags him in and the the man pleads with the king, oh please, please, I'll pay you back, give me time. And it's such an enormous number like, you know, the Bill Gates of the day could never have paid it back. But the king is moved with compassion, he cancels the debt, lets the man go free. That man goes walking out of the, uh, of the chamber there with the, with the king, and he sees a guy that bought lunch for him at McDonald's. Owes him like seven bucks. And he runs up to him and he says, hey, pay me what you owe me. And 
The guy says the exact same thing he's just said to the king. Oh, I'll get it back to you. It'll be fine. Give me a little time. I don't have the money on me right now. And, the, and the, the, Jesus tells a story that the man grabbed him and shook him by the neck and said, no, you pay me now. And he called the creditors and he threw the guy in jail because he owed him the $7. Some of you husbands can relate to that. You've been in jail a long time. Maybe you wives too. The king hears about the story. And he drags the man back in and he says, you tend to tell me that I forgave you $10 billion and you can't forgive this guy who owed you seven or 10 bucks? He said, take this man away. He reinstates the debt and he throws the man in jail. And that's the parable. What's the point? The point is that as Christians, we are the person who's had the $10 billion debt forgiven. We are the, we are the, the guy who could never have paid God back the moral debt that we owed him because of our sins. No hope of a thousand lifetimes we could never pay God back. But the gospel isn't that we pay God back and then God reinstates us. The gospel is that God forgives the debt by virtue of Jesus' death on the cross in our place, paying the ransom price. And that by virtue of that, now he cancels the debt and he sets us free. That's what it means to be a Christian. And now, lo and behold, we Christians, we wander around in the day-to-day -day of life. We live our lives in houses with other people, and all the time there's $10 debts in being incurred. This little word here, this little slight there, this little offense here. All these little $10 debts. What does it mean to apply the gospel in the day-to-day -day of life in a family? It means that I remember that my, what, was, what, what, what was forgiven for me is far greater than what my brother just did to me, or what my wife just said to me, or what my mom just uh, uh, did. And I take my awareness of the amazing grace of God to me, and I, I, I erase that offense with forgiveness and move on in harmony. And I'm here to tell you, in a family, you're either good at that and you have some harmony or you're bad at that and you just fight all the time. Marriage, <laughs> it's so key, isn't it? To be able to do that. And the capacity comes from the gospel itself. The gospel comes with an eraser. If you don't do that, you have to live perfect every day. If your marriage can't handle that, you have to be a perfect husband or wife every single day. And if you don't have that ability, marriage and family are a compounding pile of hurts and offenses and slights that are never resolved, and then the cops walk in on your powder keg. That's how it happens. But the gospel comes with an eraser. Now I wanna give you a practical uh, example from my own marriage with, uh, with Jennifer. And uh, I share this with permission, uh, okay? You know, Jennifer, she's gone to many weddings that I've done. She's heard that illustration over and over again and uh, she knows it well. Well, this past fall, uh, at some point, Jennifer and I got into a tiff with each other. I know that's shocking for you. But we got into a tiff with one another. We had one of those weeks where uh, it was kind of frosty 
around the house. Outside, it was maybe 85. Inside, cold, okay, cold. I was mad. She was mad. And we were at, like, loggerheads. I didn't know how we were going to, you know, get, get, get past it. And here's the ironic thing. As I tell you the story right now, I don't even remember what the issue was. Isn't that often the case? Like, I don't remember the conflict. I, I remember the fight. I don't remember the cause of the fight. So there we were. We were, we were very much uh, stuck. Well, I get up early in the morning, and so I got up early this one morning, and I went walking into my uh, home office, and there on my desk was this. And I saw the pink bow, and I knew instantly who it was from because my wife loves pink bows. And I thought, oh, that's kind of odd. And I, I got it, and I, I opened it. <laughs> and there was an eraser inside. And I looked at that, and I just rejoiced. And, and we, you know, talked later. It broke the ice. It was, and it always takes that, doesn't it? Somebody's got to break the ice. And we had a uh, sweet makeup. And in marriage, those makeups are very sweet. And we moved on in harmony. And that's the power of forgiveness. And this is absolutely critical in your home. And the good news is, I'm not just giving this talk at some, you know, university. We're a group of people who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a message of forgiveness. And that means that if you gospelize your home, if Jesus is really at that foundation point, there are resources and mechanisms that come along with the gospel, the byproduct of which is harmony and hopefully happiness in the home. Now sometimes it might take a little while to get there. We might need a little time out to let things settle down. But the $10 billion debt God forgave will eventually compel the Christian family member to apply the gospel to the family offense and to move on. Now, to help with this illustration, we have bought boxes of erasers. And when you leave today, there will be a very sanitized hospitality member with a glove on <laughs> handing out an eraser for every household. And what we want to see you do is to take this eraser and put it somewhere prominently in the home, okay? Centerpiece of the, you know, you decorating ladies, you could make it the centerpiece of the <laughs> kitchen table, you know? If you want your husband to see it, I'd, I'd tape it to the front of the TV for the football games today. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I think it would be fun if we could get uh, Bernie Sanders off of the social media dominance, and actually, if you would tag Bethel Church and Ministries and take a picture of wherever you're putting this, okay, 
head of your bed, uh, you know, bathroom, toilet, whatever. Take a picture of it and post it, and uh, who knows how God might not in the community go, man, what's up with all these erasers? Think of all the families out there that are hurting and not having harmony, and maybe it's a way that God could possibly allow a gospel conversation. The gospel comes with an eraser. Not only does God forgive our sins, but it gives us a way to forgive each other's sins. And man, in a family, don't we have a lot of sins against each other? Even pagans will go, yeah, we do. So who knows how God might use this. And here's my, here's my request. You put this somewhere, and, and you put it there for the next seven days. And for the next seven days, when you see this eraser, you think to yourself, God forgave my sins. Okay. Now some of you are like, we need to get about 20 of those. (laughs) Let's each go out a different exit and we'll each get one. If you're online, by the way, I'd encourage you to dig one of these out or something like it and you can play along as well. But force this into the frosty relational moment that you're having. Look around the room right now. How many marriages, for example, right now, it's frosty? What do you need? You need erasing. Are you a Christian? You have a means to do that. The gospel has provided that for you. And if you're like, but I can't do it for my family member. I just can't. Here's what I say, do it for God. Do it as an act of worship. Romans 12, get up on that altar, offer all that you are as a sacrifice to him, including the awkward and incredibly difficult call to forgive this offense and apply the gospel. And just see if after a week of active erasing in your home that your marriage isn't a little warmer and your home a little more happy. Because a gospel-ized home has Jesus as the main thing and the eraser is ever ready to clear the air and harmonize the home. And may God do that for his glory.